Welcome to this shifting moment. For the next little while, we want to focus on the readings and responses. These readings come from Richard's vast library of thought leaders, teachers, and spiritual guides. And after the reading, we offer up a response. A response that's designed to garner a response in your own heart. It's designed to help you wake up, help you through your afternoon, or help you wind down at the end of the day. Welcome to this shifting moment. We hope it helps. Ajashanti, finding freedom in the most difficult moments. When I was in my mid-twenties, I had a beautiful dog. I'm sure some of you have had pets that you deeply loved. I had this wonderful dog, and he was a constant companion. He went with me everywhere. Any room I went into in the house, he followed me. Anywhere I went in the car, he was my companion. We were together almost all the time. And then he developed a form of epilepsy, at which time I took him to the vet. They tried to give him medication to treat it, but the question of how much medication to take or not take is sort of an art. We were just starting to treat him, and after a few weeks, I came home and he was in the midst of an epileptic fit, and the fit didn't stop. It went on and on and on, and there was no way to save him. Eventually, he ended up having to be put down. This was one of the saddest moments of my life. Prior to that moment, I had experienced some amount of grief in my life. I had grandparents die and friends die, and sometimes people very close to me die. But I was never affected like I was when I lost this great companion. I found myself in deep sorrow, a sorrow that I couldn't really understand because I never experienced it before. One afternoon, some friends, family, and I went out in the backyard for a final goodbye. I had my dog's collar, and a few other things that had belonged to him, and we put them in a box. I had written out what I wanted to say, and as I began to read this eulogy, I began to weep. Tears just started pouring out of my eyes. At some point, the grief was so immense that I decided to just completely give in to it. I completely let go into this well of sorrow and grief. I was crying and crying while still trying to continue with the eulogy. And then something very mysterious happened, something I didn't expect at all. Right in the middle of this immense grief and sadness, right at the point of the heart in my chest, there was this very small pinprick of light. And right in the middle of this pinprick of light, there was a smile. I could literally almost see the smile on my mind in this pinprick of light. 
When it started, it was just a small point within this vast expanse of grief and sorrow. But as I kept crying, as I kept speaking the eulogy, this point of happiness began to expand. After a few minutes, this point of happiness had vastly outgrown and become absolutely immense. And there was this very strange paradoxical experience. On the one hand, I was enmeshed in this deep state of grief and sadness. But at the very same moment, there was a greater happiness and a greater sense of well-being than I had ever experienced in my life. It was one of the most profound experiences I had ever had. What it revealed to me was that even in the deepest states of darkness, even in the most immense states of loss and grief and depression, we can find some measure of happiness and well-being when we really open to the difficult feelings, when we really let go of our resistance, when we completely let go of trying to contain those painful experiences, when we finally just allow them to be there, to be as overwhelming as they want to be. The peace and happiness can arise when we profoundly let go, when we really decide to stop struggling. I've told this story many times, and I've received many letters and cards from people who've shared similar experiences. I received a letter from one person who had been lost in a deep depression for decades until one day she decided to stop, to stop struggling, to stop trying to push it away, but also to stop indulging in it, to stop feeding it, just to simply stop. In the moment of stopping, something completely unexpected was born. The opposite showed up. As deep as her depression was, there arose a sense of well-being when it was fully met. It's not like the depression just went away and disappeared forever, but it began to exist simultaneously within a field of absolute well-being. When the depression exists within a state of well-being, one is not overwhelmed anymore. As time went on, at least for this person, the depression began to wane. It's as if the depression had something to give up to. It could let go into well-being. This phenomena of finding well-being amidst the difficult isn't something that most people have experienced because they haven't really ever stopped trying to grasp at or push away certain qualities of thinking and feeling. If you just completely surrender to the emotions or thoughts, you will see the invitation there. The invitation to wake up from your idea of yourself and the whole emotional environment with which you identify. There is a way that you can really stop. The truth is, that a whole new way of consciousness already exists. That every part of your experience that's unfolding right now is already enclosed within absolute stillness, absolute ease. 
And so there really isn't anywhere to go or anything for which to search. Struggle only gets us deeper into the very thing that we're trying to escape. This is a very important thing to know about the ego consciousness. The harder we try to get out, the deeper we dig ourselves in. The invitation is simple. Let go of indulging in the mind. Realize it doesn't have the answers for you. And it doesn't have the answers for us collectively. Together we can begin to stop the insanity within ourselves and amongst each other. Realizing our deep essential nature and find the peace and happiness that life there is not just something for ourselves. It's a gift to all humanity. Because when we begin to become expressions of what's possible for anybody and everybody, we are contributing to the goodness at the very core of who each and every one of us is. When we can relate to ourselves from stillness, from a place before the mind, then we can begin to relate to each other from that same place. Initially, it may seem quite difficult to relate to someone else without getting pulled back into the egoic mind or into the vortex of suffering. But if you simply hold that as your intention, it will start to happen. Maybe all at once, maybe bit by bit. But there's really nothing to learn here. Awakening is actually a process of unlearning. An important thing is where we're acting from. When we relate from our true spiritual essence, then the quality of our relating is transformed. Then what we say to each other has a whole different feel to it. It is then that we become expressions of peace rather than expressions of the insanity of a divided world. This revelation begins with a recognition that you are not your mind and you are not your ego or your personality. In fact, you are something much, much vaster. I love how in this reading, the author points out that we are not our minds. What a crazy thing to think about with your mind. But we all carry around, I carry around, this mindful version of myself. And I don't mean mindful in the good way, in the, in the Zen way at all. I mean mindful in the way that I'm in my brain and I have a picture of myself that I believe the rest of the world knows. There's this beautiful saying that says, if if the person I thought I was met the person that I was, met the person that everyone else thought I was, no one would recognize each other. I think the reading nailed it in the beginning when it said that that tiny pinprick, that tiny point that broke the dam of his tears, 
where he began to weep, where he began to cry. Because I think tears really poke through whatever sort of mindful version of ourselves we have. And again, not the good mindful kind. There is a built-in system within us, physiologically and spiritually, that pours out when we just can't keep it in anymore. I'm in a phase of my life where tears have been a prevalent thing. But I'm beginning to see that there's two directions that those tears go. The one direction is the one we're all familiar with. The one where the tears roll down our cheek, maybe it's because someone hugged us at the right time, or we heard the right line or turn of phrase, or watched the right film, listened to the right music or poem, and our inners just broke out. But there's also the other kind. I think tears maybe go two directions. And the other direction is inward, behind the eyes. For every tear that rolls down my cheek, I think that there's another that rolls into my soul. And that crying inward is just as important as crying outward. That there is a built-in mechanism deep within that needs watering from those tears, and it's called your heart. Today, I invite you to cry inward. To replenish what needs watering deep within, deep within your heart.